Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We are doing a sermon series called Overflowing Joy, which is about a community of Christians in a town called Philippi. If you look at a map, you know at the back of your Bible there are maps. Did you know that? And they are not inspired by God, but they are still helpful. And in the maps, it shows you Paul the Apostle's journeys. And right at the top of one of his journeys is a little town called Philippi. It was the most, most northernmost place he ever reached. It's part of Europe. It was the first European city that he ever went to. When he went there, there were hardly any Jewish people in Philippi. He'd normally gone... And there'd been lots of Jewish people, and some of them had attacked him and argued with him. But he had a comfort zone of speaking to Jewish people first. And then when they rejected him, which they almost always did, he would then go and speak to the Gentiles. But he got to Philippi, we heard last week, through a confusing set of circumstances. He didn't really intend to go there. And he arrived in Philippi and there weren't even 10 Jewish men in the whole city of Philippi because they couldn't form a synagogue. And so he went to the river and he was looking for people who were praying and he saw a whole bunch of ladies. He preached the word and one of the ladies listened to him. Probably several of the others just thought, oh, you crazy old man. And they ignored Paul. But Lydia said yes. She invited him into her home and he be- she became a Christian, her household became, a- became Christians, and eventually through a series of circumstances, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison in Philippi. They were beaten and chained, and they were praising God in the midst of hardship, and God broke through. His light and His power broke in, and out of that was birthed a church and at the end of Acts chapter 16 it says they left the prison they went back to Lydia's house they said goodbye and they left Philippi but the story doesn't end there because 10 years later we have the book of Philippians being written Paul writes to this little church and in this one book four chapters long the word joy or rejoice appears 15 times And in this church, the Philippians or the Macedonians are referred to in other books of the Bible. And every single time they're referred to, it talks about their cheerfulness, their overflowing joy. And what we said last week is just as modern scientists will study a community that has something good about them. So if there's a community that are immune to a certain disease. Scientists will study that to say, why are you immune? We want to copy that. If there's a community that um, lives very, very long, they'll study that community and they try to analyze it and understand it. We have been given the Word of God. We're told that it's helpful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, so that we can be thoroughly equipped. We're given the story of the Philippian church so that we 2,000 years later, in another part of the world, but with the same Christ, with the same Word of God, and with the same power of the Spirit, we can experience and share in that joy, that overflowing joy. That's the purpose of the stories in the Bible. Not just to educate our brains and make us think it's interesting, but for us to partake 
of whatever they had. And so we are looking at the Philippian church to understand how did they become a church of overflowing joy. And there were some surprises last week when we looked at it. It was not birthed in a, a way that we would have thought would result in joy. And this week we're looking at a new topic, which is their relationships. Because I'm sure most of us instinctively feel that relationships are linked to joy. If we were to say, how does a person get joy? Most of us would say it has something to do with their relationships. And the world tries to use relationships to produce joy. And so, in the world, in some places and at some times in people's lives, you'll go to a large gathering of people where a lot of alcohol or drugs are consumed, where there's loud music playing, where people's inhibitions fall down and people act differently to how they normally would. And work colleagues start making passes at each other or having fights with each other or saying revealing secrets to one another because they think if I get in that environment I'll get joy and there's a tiny little period of joy and then the next morning they wake up and all the consequences and the and the headache cause them to realize that's not joy and then we have multiple relationships with the opposite sex trying to get joy and we realize that's not fulfilling me and we try through relationships to get joy and the book of Philippians shows us and I'm going to mention five aspects of their relationships that show us how godly relationships produce joy and I believe it's going to surprise you because it surprised me when I first read it so the first aspect of the relationships in Philippi were they were personal Philippians 1 verses 3 to 4, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I don't know if you have realized this about Paul's letters. He wrote many letters to many churches and he always names people by name. Have you noticed that? And sometimes at the end of a book, for instance, in Romans chapter 16, the last chapter of the book of Romans, there's a long list of names. How many of you have been like me when, when you start reading the Bible and you see a list of names, your brain just switches off? And you think, oh, I don't know who Crescens was and Epaphroditus. and I don't know what all these people were. Oh, I, I can ignore that bit. Sometimes in the Old Testament, there are chapters of names. Over and over and over repeating names. Why is that relevant? All scripture is helpful. Why is it relevant that he lists names? Because relationships are personal. It's not just a sea of faces. It's not just a number amongst many numbers. Paul and the people of Philippi knew each other intimately. They knew what their homes looked like. They knew who their cousin was. They knew what food they liked and didn't like. They knew the problems their children had. They knew each other. They got involved in each other's lives. That's why we make such a big deal of life groups. 
and why we try to make space in our Sunday service for us to interact with each other, why we have coffee afterwards, why we try to involve each other in our lives because it's very easy to be a face in the crowd but you will never experience the joy of God until you get involved with other people's lives. Amen. Their relationships were personal and we're going to see a little later. He mentions some people by name and his heart is breaking over issues that are going on in their lives. My first challenge to you and to me is how many other Christians lives are you intimately involved in not just hey hi how are you doing I'll put on a mask for church but then in the rest of the week the mask goes off and I never see you again how many people know you and you know them you know their kids names that's always a good one do you know their kids names the second aspect was it was a partnership and this is a very interesting aspect so read continuing on from the verse that I just read Philippians 1 verse 4 to 5 he says in all my prayers for all of you I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now that word partnership is an interesting word um, there, there are a few different Greek words and this one is a word called koinonia which is sometimes translated fellowship or family or love um, but it has a different connotation in the book of Philippians because as we read on we realize that this partnership was more than just love there was a combined commitment to a bigger purpose and a, and a bigger task and so we read on in, in Philippians 4 verses 2 to 3. This is where you start to see some of the names mentioned. Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you my true companion, and many other versions translate that my loyal yoke fellow, which I'll come back to, a very strange word there. I ask you, my true companion, my yoke fellow, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul had a team of co-workers, and they were in partnership together. They were friends for a purpose and this is where it becomes different to normal relationships it's not just I'm your buddy I know your kids names we hang out together we like each other in Christian relationships there is a partnership and that little phrase loyal yoke fellow I want to just dig into that a little bit this word yoke in the Bible those of us who grew up in cities don't understand what a yoke is. But those who grew up in rural places, especially where there were oxen and cattle, understand what a yoke is. What happens is you get several oxen together and you want them to work together, pulling in the same direction, and so you put a yoke of wood across their necks or across their shoulders and you join them to one another and then the driver holds the, the steering um, 
contraption, and you, you drive the oxen together in the same way. And this word yoke appears several times in the Bible. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So we hear that, we hear Jesus saying, are you weary? Are you tired? Come, I'll give you rest. And we think, yay, we're going to lie down on a sofa. We're going to have someone bringing cold orange juice to us and someone fanning us and we're going to rest in Jesus. Listen to what he says next. Take my yoke upon you. What? What? What are you saying, Jesus? I'm not an oxen. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus was saying is if you're trying to find rest by doing nothing, you won't find rest. How many of us have been tired and so we think, let me just do nothing, and the whirring and worrying of our minds make us not have rest. But when I join myself to Christ and I take His yoke and I say, Lord, join me to other Christians doing your task, even though I'm working, because I'm yoked to Christ, I find that my feet are lifted off the ground. And the big oxen of Jesus carries the weight and he pushes me along and I find that I'm working in a purpose. I'm yoked with other Christians, but I'm finding rest and refreshing for my souls. There's a word for someone here today. If you are tired, don't stop working. Just do work with Jesus and with his people and you will find rest for your souls. You know, when the disciples in John chapter 4 came back to Jesus with food from the village, they'd left him by a well talking to a Samaritan woman. They went and got food and they came back and they, it was a hot day and they'd been walking and they said, don't you want some food? He said, I have food that you know nothing of. My food is to do the will of my father. When I'm doing God's will, I get refreshing and I get strength that the world cannot give. And it comes from relationships of being yoked together and the relationships of the Philippians were they were yoked, they were in partnership with Paul. So they were personal. They were a partnership. Number three, they were purposeful. There was a purpose behind them. Philippians 1 verse, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. Paul says this, talking about the Philippians. He says, they exceeded our expectations... They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. There's a purpose behind it. Whenever Paul talks about the yoke, the partnership, the, the relationship, it's always with a bigger purpose, a bigger context, and it's in the Lord. I'm yoked with Jesus and then I'm yoked with other people. And I'm yoked for his job and his purpose, not mine. It was purposeful. There was a, a task in mind. It was for the gospel. The verses we've already read, I'll just re read them to you again. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says their, their friendship was in the gospel. I feel like a lot of churches and a lot of Christians are missing the point because we have friendships we get together we have tea and coffee and chat and we do fun things together but it's not yoked with Jesus in the gospel it's just it's just like an earthly friendship and we're not actually saying what are we doing together for God and because of that the world comes in and they see our friendships 
And they say, those are nice, but they're the same as I could get at the pub. But when we're yoked together in the gospel, when we're saying we're here for a purpose that is God's purpose. You know, people come into our church and they say, how is it possible that you have young and old, black and white and every color in between? This nationality, this culture, this uh, economic level of rich and poor. How do you have all of you together in one place? That doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't make sense in the world's concept, but in God it does because we're yoked in Christ for a bigger purpose. So that's the third one. The fourth one is the relationships that we have in the Lord involve a price. We're willing to pay a price. So in Philippians, we've already read in Philippians 4 where he says, I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, be of one mind. And then he says, my loyal yoke fellow, you buddy who you yoked with me, please help these ladies get sorted out. And Clement, my other fellow worker, please buddy, would you help these ladies get together? There was a price to be paid and that was sacrificing their pride and putting themselves lower and preferring others. There's a price to be paid for Christian relationships. Let me read to you Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to pretend that God is speaking to us as a church. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. He says, has it blessed you being saved? And, and has God done anything for you? If there's anything God has done for you. Then he says, if you have any comfort from his love. Has God ever comforted you and helped you and made you feel close to him? He says, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, has God's Spirit blessed you and you felt His Spirit moving? If you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He says there's a price to be paid, and it's your pride. <laughs> he says put others first. If you've got a blessing from God, if, if God has done anything for you, if He's healed you, forgiven you, blessed you, comforted you, you must put your own pride down and prefer other people. At the cost of something that you value, you, you bless other people to make these relationships work. And this is where the rubber hits the road because Christian relationships cost something. You know, in the world, as soon as there's a cost, we say, I'm out of this relationship. I'm going to find someone else who meets my needs more. But in God, we say, I'm willing to pay a price because I value this relationship. Ephesians chapter 4, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's effort. It doesn't come easily. There are times when I have to humble myself. I have to go to someone and I say, what, what's, what's going on? There are times where I, a person's offended me and I have to let it go and I have to say, I'm, I'm blessing them and I'm forgiving them. There are times when it's not easy, where a person is extremely demanding, but we sacrifice, we sacrifice, and out of that, the joy of the Lord comes.
There was also a financial price. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2. He said, talking about the Philippians, he says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. These Christians gave money. And I've often heard it said in ministry that it doesn't matter how much a person says they love you. It doesn't matter how much a person says they're with your ministry or they're supporting God's work or the rubber hits the road when they put their hand in their pocket and they give their money. And it's true. If you don't give, you don't love. Amen? Right, the last one is it's profitable. It's profitable. I'm going to read you a couple of verses that I think will shock you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. Jesus said to his disciples, He who receives you, receives me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. So he's sending his disciples out and he says to them, If someone receives you, in other words, someone welcomes you, loves you, helps you, blesses you, takes you into their home, they're actually getting the benefit of, it's as if God the Father was walking into their home. But then he goes a step further. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Wow. If somebody comes in and they've got a gift of prophecy and I receive it and I'm friends with them, I'm yoked with them, I receive the reward of them, the prophet. What? How does this work? You mean when I get to heaven, God gives me rewards for all that I've done, but then he gives me rewards for all the other Christians that I've been linked with? Now we see how God's relationships work. Then he goes on. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Wow, I want to get friends with lots of Christians because I get my blessings and theirs. And then he says, and whoever gives one of these little ones, little children, a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. He says any relationships you have cause you a blessing. Not just you becoming friends with a great prophet or a great righteous man, even a little helpless child who everyone is ignoring, if they love Jesus and you give them a cup of cold water, you get a reward from their blessings. And what we see is that God has set up this thing in Christian relationships where there's a synergy. You know what synergy is? It's when one plus one equals four. It's when me and you joined together don't just equal the combined effect of both of our lives. It multiplies. And I get your blessing and you get my blessing. And because we're yoked together in Christ, we get his blessing and great multiplication happens. And so Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 7 to the Philippians. He says, I have you in my heart, inasmuch as in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. The King James Version says, you are partaking of my grace. Listen to what he says. He says, as you are in my heart 
And when you're helping me when I'm in my chains and when I'm preaching the gospel, you are partaking with me of my grace. He says, when you're in partnership with me, you are getting the blessing of Paul. And Paul is getting the blessing of the Philippians. And then the last verse that I'm going to read today. It's going to go up on your screen. Just before I do that, let me summarize. Relationships in the Lord are different. They cause joy because they are personal. We know each other. They are a partnership. We are yoked together. They are with a purpose. They are for a bigger purpose. God's gospel. They are willing to pay a price. And then lastly, they are profitable. So, this is the last verse. Philippians 4 verse 16. Paul says, Even when I was in Thessalonica, you, Philippians, sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Why was Paul happy to receive money from them? Because he knew that there's this multiplication of blessing. When they helped him, they were getting a reward, and he was. He goes on to say, I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then listen to this last verse. And my God, my God, will supply your needs according to His riches in glory. You see what's happening here? My God will supply your needs according to His riches. A group of people got yoked. <laughs> they put a, a yoke upon themselves. They were weary and heavy laden. They had severe trials and problems. But they said, we are going to link ourselves with Paul, and we're going to link ourselves with Paul in Christ's purpose of spreading the gospel. And because of the yoke on us, and because we're doing Christ's work, Paul's God will supply our needs according to Christ's riches in glory. There's this multiplication effect. And this is the challenge for me and you, friends. Who are you yoked with? Who are you yoked with? There's another little verse in 2 Corinthians 6. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And what that's saying is not avoid unbelievers. We're supposed to be in the world. But it says don't be yoked with them. There's a difference between acquaintances or being with people and being yoked with someone. You know, a ship doesn't sink if there's a lot of water around it. In fact, the more water around it, the better a ship floats. Isn't that true? A Christian doesn't sink because the world is all around it. It's only when the water gets in the ship that it sinks. It's only when the world gets into your Christian heart, when you're yoked with someone who's not a believer, that you've got a problem. And so you say to me, what does it mean to be yoked? It means you are committing yourself to each other. You're willing to pay a price. You're allowing them 
into your heart to influence your decisions and you're combined together to do a work together to achieve something. And when you allow a non-believer right in, in that position, 2 Corinthians 6 says, don't do it, it's dangerous. You know, Jesus spent time, all the time, with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunkards, didn't he? They said to him, you're spending all your time with the, with the bad people. He really mixed with them. He was a ship in, surrounded by the water of bad people. But he was yoked with 12 disciples. They were in his heart. He shared his heart with them. He listened to them. He says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends because you know your master's business. He was yoked and partnered and committed. And he said, we are committed to each other. Even to the death. We will pay the price. We will share our lives. We will work together for a greater purpose. And my question to you and to me is, who are you yoked with? Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.